Well, if you haven't been with us, we're in a series on uh, the spiritual disciplines called habits. And what we're looking at is, that, is the idea that change, that transformation, that godliness doesn't happen by accident. Uh, you know, even though we have the Holy Spirit, even though, even though we have our Bibles, if we're really going to grow and change as Christians, we've got, we have to actually put forth effort. In fact, uh, what we're saying is that godliness takes training. Uh, godliness takes exercise. If you're going to grow as a Christian, you've got to learn how to train yourself to be godly, to be Christ-like. And so that's what we're looking at, and we're, and we're looking at all the different disciplines, all the spiritual disciplines that, that we can engage in, that we can develop in our lives as Christians. And so uh, th- today is the first week we're going to look at the very first spiritual discipline, and the first one we're going to look at is the spiritual discipline of gratitude. The spiritual discipline of gratitude. Can we all say gratitude together? A few weeks ago, or actually several months ago, I was listening to a TED Talk uh, given by a man named David Stendelrast. He's a Benedictine monk. And uh, the title of his talk was, Do You Want to Be Happy? Be Grateful. And the point he made was that all of us have this one thing in common. All of us want to be happy. And he said, most of us think that happiness comes by getting more and more stuff. So more uh, health, more money, more help, uh, more uh, things like that. But he says, the problem is there are people in this world who have everything that they want, and they're still not happy. And he says, the key to happiness is not more stuff, but gratitude. Gratitude is the root of joy. Now, I think that Brother David Stendelrast is onto something here. A study showed that grateful people are happier, they're more satisfied with their lives and social relationships. They're more forgiving, more supportive of those they love. They're less stressed, less depressed, less envious, and less anxious. So it does seem, at least statistically, that gratitude does lead to happiness. If you want to be happy, he says, be grateful. But this is not just David Stindelrath who says this. It seems like all the great thinkers, all the great sages uh, throughout the world have recognized the great value of gratitude. And so, for example, uh, G.K. Chesterton, that great Catholic author, uh, says it this way. He says, I would maintain that thanks are the highest form of thought and that gratitude is happiness doubled by wonder. So he says the highest thought that you could possibly think is that of gratitude. And happiness is gratitude doubled by wonder. Uh, The ancient philosopher Cicero, the great philosopher, he said this, that gratitude was the queen of all virtues, He even said that gratitude was the parent of all virtues. So he said, uh, the way to acquire all the other virtues in life is to first be grateful. He says it's the queen of virtues. Uh, And then on the other side, David Hume, another great philosopher, said that ingratitude is the most horrible and unnatural crime that a person is capable of committing. (laughs) Ingratitude. And then uh, um, Immanuel Kant, another philosopher, said that ingratitude is the essence of vileness. And all the parents in the room say, amen. That's right, ungrateful children. And so uh, it's not just David Stendelrass, it's all the thinkers, all the great sages throughout the world have recognized the great value, the supreme value of gratitude. But what I want to see here, what I want you to see here this morning is that uh, gratitude is not just something important that people recognize, but that gratitude is really the essence of the Christian life. Uh, Next to love, I would say that gratitude is one of the most supreme Christian virtues. And really, gratitude is what being a Christian is all about. 
And you see this, this is a constant theme all the way through the New Testament. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, a first century uh, theologian and church planter, uh, he he says that Christianity is a life that is abounding in thanksgiving. And then in another place, uh, this is in one of his letters, Paul says, Give thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, Paul says, "Well, well, when do you give thanks? He says, all the time. For what? For every single thing in your life. In another place, uh, Paul says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So uh, what does Paul say here? He says, as a Christian, he says, you don't just give thanks, uh, you know, when you make partner. Don't just give thanks when you buy that new house. Uh, Don't just give thanks when things are going well for you. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So what is the will of God for your life? Here it is. Gratitude. It's not uh, having a certain job or being in a certain place. The will of God for your life, if you're a Christian, is gratitude. And when you look throughout the Bible, uh, especially in Paul's letters, he also says that the opposite is true. He says ingratitude is the hallmark of a life opposed to God. And so in Romans 1, uh, Paul says it this way. He says, he's, he's talking about all of humanity, and he says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor did they give thanks to him. And so for Paul, he says, this is what's basically wrong with the human race. It's not essentially greed. It's not essentially anger. It's not basically lust. He says, if you want to know what's wrong with humanity, he says it comes right down to ingratitude. I mean, it's amazing to me. And then he he goes on, and from there, things get worse and worse, and humanity begins to unravel, and Paul describes all the unbelieving world as faithless, heartless, ruthless, and he says it all begins with ingratitude. David Stendhal says it leads to happiness. All the great philosophers say it's absolutely necessary. And it's really the essence of the Christian life. Gratitude. And so here's the question I want to ask. How can we be grateful? I mean, how can we cultivate gratitude in our lives? Because it's hard, isn't it? You know, have you ever tried to be grateful? You know, even the most upbeat and positive of us struggle with gratitude. And you hear somebody say, well, just be grateful. And you think of the church lady on Saturday Night Live, right? Be grateful for what you have, pointing her finger at you. But, 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 but how do we do that? I mean, how could we be grateful people? Well, the answer is gratitude is a discipline. You must exercise yourself to be a grateful person. Right? It, it, gratitude, in other words, is a spiritual practice, and we're going to look at it this morning. Now, I want to look at it by going to Psalm 9. And uh, Psalm 9 is uh, it, it's a great psalm. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. And as you look throughout the psalms, the psalms were like, uh, they were prayers, Old Testament prayers that the people of God prayed uh, in the ancient world. And there are different types of psalms. So there are psalms of ascent, which are psalms of praise, where the psalmist is thanking God and praising God uh, for, for who God is. And then there are psalms of lament, where the psalmist is in the pit, and he's mourning, and he's down, and he's depressed. And then there are psalms of trust, where the psalmist is looking to God as, the, as his rock, as his refuge, as his anchor. But then there are these psalms of gratitude. And someone once said that the psalms are a toolbox for the soul, meaning uh, they are tools to help us cultivate our interior lives. And so these psalms of thanksgiving are tools that God has given us to cultivate gratitude. 
we could use them to help us discipline ourselves to be grateful. And so in Psalm 9, what we have here is a window into the heart and soul of a man who is exercising the discipline of gratitude. And so what I want to do is look at the psalm and see how he does it. How does this man exercise gratitude in his life? And what I want us to see this morning is four things. Four things, not three. I could do more than three points on occasion. If we're going to exercise gratitude, it takes four basic faculties. Gratitude involves the will, it involves the mind, it involves the heart, it involves the mouth. Okay, this is how we do it. Gratitude involves the will, the mind, the heart, and the mouth. And so let's look at each one of these things. So gratitude involves the will. Uh, Psalm uh, 9, verses 1 and 2. Psalmist says, I will give thanks to the Lord with, all my, with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. And so the first thing we see here is that the, that the psalmist is, is exercising his will to be grateful. Now, what is our will? Our will is that faculty where decisions are made. Our will is the faculty where, uh, where, we intend, where intention uh, happens. Our will is the faculty where we determine our, our thoughts and our actions. Uh, it's where we decide things. And notice what the, for the psalmist, gratitude begins with a decision. Notice he says, I will, four times. In verse one, I will give thanks. I will recount your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you, and I will sing praise to your name. In other words, the psalmist isn't waiting to be grateful. He is pre-deciding that he is going to be a person of gratitude. So gratitude always begins with a decision. In other words, you don't drift, drift, you don't drift into to gratitude. Gratitude doesn't just happen. Uh, and, and, you know, and sometimes, you know, we feel like being ungrateful, especially when things are not going well. But the psalmist is teaching us here that you need to actually intend to be grateful. What's interesting is when you look at the psalm, the psalmist, uh, this man is not going through a good time in his life. Uh, I mentioned that there are psalms where the psalmist is in the pit. This is one of those psalms. In fact, if you look at verse uh, 13, he says, um, he says, be gracious to me, O Lord, and see my affliction. And so this, this is a man who's being afflicted. And then he says, uh, from those who hate me. So there are people in his life that hate him. And he says, and you who lift me up from the gates of death. So here's a man who's in affliction and he's being hated. He's at the gates of death. And yet here he is deciding to be grateful. Because it's something you've got to intend. You don't drift into it. You don't wait for it. You don't wait for things to go well before you are grateful. You've got to decide to do it. That's what he's teaching us here. Because really the natural gravitational pull of our hearts is towards ingratitude. Where our heart naturally goes is to be ungrateful. And so I want you to think of gratitude like tending a garden. Okay, so I've got a little miniature garden, or I used to have a little miniature gar garden in my office. Um, actually, it's just a plant, is all it was. Um, <laughs> but I like, to <laughs> I like to think of it as, as a garden. And, uh, you know, this garden, it was one of those plants that was, like, always green. I mean, very little work. It just was always green. And I thought, you know what? I bet I could do nothing. And this plant would always stay green. And so that's what I did. I just let it go. I let it go, organic, all natural, you know, I just let the plant go. Two weeks later, guess what? The plant was dead. Why? It's because gardens naturally go south. 
and your heart naturally goes to ingratitude. And if you're going to be a grateful person, you've got to pre-decide, you've got to use your will and decide, I'm going to be grateful. And this is why in the New Testament, gratitude is what? It's a command. Paul, the New Testament doesn't say, hey, wait to be grateful until you feel like it. It says, be, give thanks, what? In all circumstances, for everything. It's something that, that Paul commands. In other words, gratitude is within your control. Gratitude is a responsibility. Gratitude is a choice that you make. And we all know that our lives are the sum total of all of our decisions. And if you're an ungrateful person, it's the result of many, many decisions that you've made not to be grateful. I was watching a video a while back. It was of a minister named Ed Dobson. And uh, I don't know, he's no, no relation to Dr. Dobson. This is a man who was a minister in uh, Michigan. And uh, he, was, he, he contracted ALS, which is a degenerative uh, nerve disease. And so as he got worse and worse, and, and the doctors told him he wasn't going to make it, uh, he decided to make videos of his death. And so as, as things got worse and worse, uh, he's showing these videos. And one of the videos that he had was a video called Gratitude. And he said, listen, as, my, as I began to degenerate, as, as my life got worse and worse, he said, I had a decision to make. I was either going to be angry or I was going to decide to be grateful. And what he was saying in the video is that gratitude is a decision that you make even in the darkest of circumstances. So gratitude involves the will. Secondly, gratitude involves the mind. Gratitude is fueled by your mind. So notice he says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And then he says, I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. I love that word, recount. What does it mean to recount? Well, it means to bring things into your brain, right? It means to bring things to mind. It's sort of like counting. Counting is something you do with your brain, and recounting is something you also do with your brain. You're bringing things to, to mind. You're bringing them back up again. And this is what, uh, this is, what uh, is involved in the discipline of gratitude. I looked up in Webster's Dictionary the, the definition of recounting, and it says that it has to do with narrative, all right, and so whenever you're telling a narrative, you've got to bring certain uh, key events of the narrative to mind, right? And so, for example, I do this every night with my kids. I've got a series of like seven uh, stories that I tell my kids before bed, and uh, one of them is about Star Wars, uh, another one is about pirates, and the other ones just get really weird, so I won't even tell you what they are. But um, I tell these stories, and so my kids will say, Daddy, tell us again the story, of, the story of Star Wars, or tell us again the story of the pirates, and what do I have to do? Well, this is what I have to do. I, I go back, and I begin to recount the major events of the narrative, and I tell the story again. And gratitude involves this sort of activity. You need to bring certain things into mind. What do you bring to mind? The psalmist says, I recount the wonderful deeds of God. A person of gratitude is somebody who intentionally and purposely decides to bring certain things into, your, into their brain. And so here's my question to you. What are you recounting? All of us recount things. All of us bring things into our brains. What are you bringing into your brain? As you lay in bed at night, what do you think about? You know, if you're laying in bed and you're constantly thinking about all the injustices that have been done to you, you know, I was wronged here, and I was, I was hurt there, and this person was wrong there. If you're constantly bringing to mind all of the injustices that have been done to you, you're going to be a very angry person. 
or if you're constantly bringing to mind, uh, you know, the, all of your failures, you know, if I just wouldn't have done that, and I made this stupid decision over there, and if I could just go back and change this dumb thing that I've done, if you're constantly bringing to mind your failures, you're going to be a person of regret. If you're constantly bringing to mind all the things you don't have, I wish I had that, and I don't have this, and I don't have the other thing, you're going to be a very discontent person. But the person of gratitude is constantly recounting and purposely bringing to mind all the wonderful works of God. This is what they do. And what's so interesting is when, when you look at all the psalms, the songs of thanksgiving, it's almost like the writer makes lists of all the benefits that God has given them in their lives. So example, uh, Psalm 103, uh, the psalmist says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who, number one, forgives all of your iniquity, who, number two, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good. What is he doing? He's recounting, he's listing off, literally, the good things that God has done for him. So many of us have prayer lists. I wonder if you've got a gratitude list. Are you writing down, thinking about consciously all the good things that God has done in your life? This is what it takes to discipline yourself to be a person of gratitude. And what's interesting is when you look at the people of ancient Israel, they almost had a culture of memory. They almost had a culture of recounting where they were constantly uh, recounting the story and the history of God and all the good things that God did in their lives. And then they would pass these things down to their children. In fact, there is a, a prayer that the ancient Jewish people used to pray called the 18. Can we all say that? The 18. Actually, the full name was the 18 benedictions. And what these were is they were prayers that began like this. Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe. And they would list something that they were thankful for. Right? And so they, they would pray the 18 all the time. And it's because they, they deeply believed what one rabbi said. And he said, he who enjoys anything from creation without blessing God for it commits misuse. And so they would thank God for everything in their world. And so they would pray the 18 on the Sabbath, thanking God for rest. They would pray the 18 th three times a day. And they would pray the 18 for, on every special holidays. They had a culture of remembering and bringing things to mind. And they would thank God for every single thing in their world. And so they would pray, they would bless the food, right? And so um, one rabbi said that, you know, every time you eat, you've got to bless God for your, you've got to thank God for your food. And he, and he actually said that if you ate food and you forgot to give thanks for it, and then later on you remembered that you forgot to give thanks for it, you had to go back to the place where you ate the meal and offer a prayer of thanks. And so some of you on Tuesday need to go back to the Pinto or back to Mexican Mama's and thank God for your meal that you forgot to thank God for. They must have loved food because they had, a, they had blessings not just for meals in general, but for every single piece of food. And so they had a blessing for the bread, and they had a blessing for wine, and they had the blessing for uh, figs even. They, they had a blessing if they were lucky enough to have meat, they had a blessing for meat. And they didn't just stop with food. I mean, they, they had blessings for everything. If you can believe it, they actually had a blessing for lamps. And so they thought, you know, thank God for light. We could all be living in darkness, but God said, let there be light. And so they'd say, blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, for making light in the world. Uh, they, they had blessings for comets, even. So if they were sitting out on a night sky, and they were looking up and they saw a comet, they would offer a blessing for a comet. Uh, they had blessings for the ocean. 
And I love the blessing for the ocean. As a former surfer, I love the blessing for the ocean. And you think about this. I mean, some people have never seen the ocean. And some people live in climates that are freezing cold like Michigan. You know, the place God sends people when he doesn't like them, right? <laughs> but thank God for the ocean. I mean, thank God for that. And so these, they, they were very attentive and they looked at everything and they thanked God for everything in their world. They took nothing for granted. And they would list them one by one, all of their benefits. And this is what we need to be doing, not just for food, not just for those big things, but big and small, everything of life. This is the discipline of gratitude. Uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, put it again like this. Nothing taken for granted. Everything received with gratitude. Every, everything passed on with grace. You say grace before meals, that's all right. But I say grace before the concert and the opera, and grace before the play and the pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Are you recounting and counting? Are you bringing to mind the things in your life? Everything is a gift. Now somebody says, my life isn't going well right now. And I don't feel like being grateful. I feel like complaining. Well, did you know there were psalms of complaint too? It's okay to complain to God. There's a place for that. But make sure that your complaints don't drown out your gratitude. And somebody else says, well, you know, you know all of these things, some of the things in my life are not things that God did. They're things that I did. You know, I worked hard. I'm very ambitious. I got a good job. And now I bring home a paycheck. That's something that I do. Are you sure about that? You may be the ultimate cause, ultimate cause, but God, or the immediate cause, God is the ultimate source. And the very breath that you drew this morning is only due to the fact that God was sustaining that breath. And in the book of Acts, Paul says, in him you live and move and have your being. Everything is gift. Everything comes from God. Everything in your life. Are you, are you mindful? Are you thinking about these things? Are you, bring, are you using your brain and bringing them to mind? This is the discipline of gratitude. It doesn't just happen. You decide to be grateful, and then you begin to purposely bring things into your mind. And maybe it's when you're laying in bed at night, or maybe you literally make a journal or a list, or maybe you tell the people you love about them. But you're counting and recounting. Gratitude involves the will, it involves the mind. Notice gr gratitude also involves the heart. Notice the psalm goes on and it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. So in other words, gratitude isn't just gratitude if it stays in the mind. It's got to go down into your heart. Well, what is the heart? Let's well, state the obvi obvious. It's more than just simply a vital organ that pumps your blood. Uh, according to the Bible, the, the heart is the seat of your emotions and your desires. It's the center of your affections and your devotions. And God is incredibly concerned about your heart. In fact, 300 times throughout the Bible, God mentions the heart. God peers right into it. And at one point, he says, guard your heart above all things. And what the psalmist does, he doesn't just stop with his mind, he brings God's, this gratitude into his heart. You've got to really feel it. You've got to truly, authentically be grateful these, for these things. Well, how does gratitude work its way from your mind into your heart? 
the answer to that question is you've got to see the good things in your life as more than just deeds of God. You've got to see them as works of grace. All the good things in your life are not just gifts, they are absolute grace. What is God's grace? God's grace is his unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving. In other words, what I'm saying here is that, is that entitlement kills gratitude. And if you look at something in your life and you say, I deserve that, I've earned that, it's God's job to give that to me. That is going to destroy gratitude. Dr- gratitude happens when you look at all the good things in your life and you see yourself as an unworthy recipient of that grace. You see, all of us, not just the, the worst of us, but all of us are sinners. You know, Scripture says, the theology of the Bible says that all of us are deeply flawed and broken and that none of us deserve anything from God. And that if we'll look at our behavior, we'll find that we are, we are deeply sinful and very wayward. And yet God doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. You know, he gives us grace. He gives us forgiveness. He sent Jesus into the world. And when, when grace hits home to your heart, you explode in gratitude. One of the main practices of worship is the bread and the cup. You know, the Lord's Supper. And in the ancient traditions, this is called the Eucharist. And the word Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. What that means is at the heart of the Christian life, at the heart of Christian worship, we remember the cross. And on the, on the cross, Jesus, God gave in Jesus everything he had, his best to us, who deserve his worst. And when you realize that although you are more sinful than you ever imagined, you are more accepted in love than you ever dared, hoped, or dreamed, that explodes in gratitude. Grace leads to gratitude. In the New Testament, all the great heroes were people of gratitude. Not just moral people, but people of gratitude. And there's this great story in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee. And he's in there and he's reclining at the table and they're talking probably about theology and and the Bible and things like that. And then suddenly uh, a woman breaks into the door. And it says that she was a woman of the street, which means basically she was a prostitute. She breaks into the house and she falls at the feet of Jesus and she begins to weep on his feet and she wipes his feet with her tears. Do you remember this story? And then after she was done, she she poured a, a, a little flask of perfume on his feet and wiped his feet. And of course, the Pharisees are all upset about this. If he would have known what kind of woman this is, he wouldn't have let her do that. And what does Jesus say? He says, she did this out of gratitude. He said, I walked in this room, and you didn't do anything for me. You looked at me like I was a colleague. But this woman, this woman, she is a woman of gratitude. She was grateful. And he said, the person who's been forgiven much loves much. In other words, the more you see how unworthy you are of all that Jesus is for you, the more your heart will explode in gratitude. In other words, the key to gratitude is understanding that in in your depths, the gospel. So it's got to get into your heart. But then finally, let me end, and I'm going to say finally that the discipline of gratitude isn't done until it comes out of your mouth. 
It's got to come out of your mouth. Notice he says, uh, I will give thanks to the Lord, but then he says, I will sing, in verse two, I will sing praise to your name. Notice here, gratitude comes out of the mouth. Gratitude isn't gratitude unless you speak it. And I want you to think about this. I want, just think about all the words that you speak on a weekly basis. Are you speaking words of gratitude? I mean, you may feel grateful in your heart, way down deep in there, but here's the question. Are the, are, is gratitude coming out of your mouth? That's the question. If you go to my house and you listen to all the conversations I have with my wife, this is what you would hear. I'm so tired. I didn't sleep enough last night. Samuel got up at four. Why are there no eggs? These are the things that come out of my mouth. But the person of gratitude almost does an audit of their words. And they're mindful of the things that they're actually saying. Are you speaking words of gratitude? This is part of the discipline. I'm not just going to feel it. I'm going to speak it to the people I love and, and in my house. And, and don't you know that gratitude is incredibly contagious? Incredibly contagious. Could you imagine what it would be like in your house if you actually spoke words of gratitude? There's this book by a Brennan Manning where he recounts a woman and her contagious gratitude. And here's the story. He said, John Cavanaugh relates a story of a grateful old woman who was in an extended care hospital. She had some kind of wasting disease, her different powers fading away over the march of the month. A student of mine happened upon her on a coincidental visit. The student kept going back, drawn by the strange force of the woman's joy. Though she could no longer move her arms and legs, she would say, I'm just so happy I could move my neck. And when she could no longer move her neck, she would say, I'm just so glad I can hear and see. And when the young student finally asked the woman what would happen if she lost her sound and sight, the gentle old lady said, I'll just be so grateful that you came to visit. There was an uncommon freedom in that student's eyes when she told me of her friend. Somehow a great enemy had been disarmed in her life. On Friday night, we had a small group leaders meeting. And those meetings are great. You know, we had dinner, we celebrated, but we also talked about the hardships of our small groups. And after three or four people talking about the, how difficult their small group was, I mean, we were, I, my group was one of them. Uh, Chuck McLean spoke up. And he said, guys, I know that groups can be hard, but I just want to say thank you. And he said, thank you for leading your groups. Brent, thank you for leading the church. Thank you for keeping these things together. He just spoke a word of gratitude. And it truly was like a great enemy had been disarmed in that room. Gratitude, when it's spoken, changes the environment. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my heroes, uh, in that Flossenburg prison that he was in, uh, one of the, the other prisoners said this of Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer, was always seemed, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. <laughs> he was just glad he was alive. And as he spoke these words, it's like he created a, an... Uh, an, an ethic, an environment there in the camp that just, camp that just changed everything. 
And so, uh, you know, gratitude is incredibly powerful. Imagine your life. Imagine evangelism. What is evangelism? It's speaking words of, of gratitude, of thankfulness about God in front of other people. Imagine your life if it was filled with words of gratitude. Well, this is a discipline. A discipline where you decide to do it. A discipline where you decide to purposely bring things into your brain. A discipline where you're going and you're taking the Eucharist and you're reminding yourself of God's grace so that it gets into your heart. A discipline where you actually speak the gratitude out of your mouth. Gratitude doesn't happen naturally. You don't drift into it. You know, a garden goes south and our hearts naturally go to ingratitude. And so, uh, will you commit with me today to exercise the spiritual discipline of being thankful? Can we say yes? Uh, Quick, a couple applications. Here's what you can do. Um, You can write a thank you letter to your spouse or somebody else in your life. You can start a gratitude journal, like where, where you like literally write things down that you're thankful for. You know, just coming to church and taking the Lord's Supper is something you can do tangibly to work gratitude into your heart. And so let's, uh, let's do this. Let's be a people of gratitude. It's so important. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, uh, this psalm and for all the psalms. They are uh, truly a toolbox of the soul. They help us cultivate our interior lives. And God, uh, after looking at this psalm and seeing how this man cultivated gratitude, we pray that you'd help us to follow his example. Lord, gratitude is, is the heart of the Christian life. Uh, the Christianity is a life that is abounding in thanksgiving. It is the will of God for us. And so we pray that you would enable us, God, to do these very tangible things to help us be a people who are deeply and truly grateful. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.